Hello everybody, this is Curtis from Tremble letting you know that we are brought to you by Shudder. Shudder is the horror movie streaming service that brings you all the latest and greatest that horror has to offer. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can use TremblePod, that's T-R-E-M-B-L-E-P-O-D, when you sign up for an account. This will give you a free 30-day trial on us, so you can check it out for yourself. With that said, let's get on with this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Tremble, the horror movie podcast amidst the horror of this heat. (laughs) (laughs) With me, as always, Stephen Taylor. How are you two doing? Um, Air conditioned. Yeah, surviving. Yeah. Yeah, It's standard where I live, so. Ah, yeah. I was joking with some of my other friends on uh, Facebook. We were joking that like almost all of us have our fans like within like a foot of us. I'm like, yeah, that's that's about right. We're going through a heat wave right now, and I know some places like down in Texas or in Florida are probably like, it's nothing. It's like this all year round. Well, you know what? For us, this is abnormal. Okay, so <laughs> back off. Uh, but we have a special guest this week. Beck, how's it going? I am also surviving, even though I'm from Australia. I hate this heat. I moved here not to experience this heat. What the hell? You probably came here. You're like, bye heat. Don't have to deal with you again. And then they're like, "Ah, surprise. Gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) You want to see 40 degrees again? Nope. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, what a great time to talk about horror movies again. I feel like the real life horror is this heat right now. But yeah. Uh, we're doing a Guillermo del Toro double feature this week, Chronos uh, and uh, the episode after this, uh, we're doing Pan's Labyrinth, both great movies. Uh, it's kind of one of those weeks where I'm like, I can't see anybody not liking these movies because they're just both great. Uh, and uh, Steve, you mentioned this before we started recording, but very like fable centric uh, hmm. between the two of them. So. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's like uh, Guillermo has like a, an obsession with, um, yeah, like like kind of myths and legends and stories that have been told, like a, like way before and probably told many times before. But he always has like this like um, eccentric but like very honed take on everything. Even like a movie that we've covered on this podcast, uh, Crimson Peak. Uh, at its heart, it, it really is kind of like a, a standard gothic ghost story romance, but mm-hmm. uh, all the elements that he infuses into it, like that really giallo feel, and um, of course everything that makes Guillermo Guillermo when it comes to his art direction, his, his uh, cinematography, and, and of course Doug Jones, uh, just makes it, just makes it stand apart. And Pan's Labyrinth and Kronos are just such a a really good indication of that and with Kronos is crazy because it's his it's his first feature and he had his budget so scaled down on it uh for uh for being a like a movie that they knew was going to break out of Mexico but you know it's crazy yeah um cool uh let's uh yeah we're going to talk about Kronos first but uh i mean I, I can talk about, like, either of these first. They're both great. Uh, but, yeah, mm-hmm. we're this episode, at least, we're talking about Cronus. 
and uh, yeah, it's funny because in reading the plot synopsis, it does sound so much like Hellraiser. It's not even funny. Like, <laughs> antique dealer Jesus Gris uh, stumbles across Kronos, a 400-year-old scarab that, when it latches onto him, grants him youth and eternal life, but also a thirst for blood. As uh, Jesus or Jesus, I guess it could be Jesus. I I can't remember, but anyways, we'll go with yeah, Jesus. it's Jesus. Okay, Jesus uh, enjoys his newfound vitality. He's unaware that a dying old man, Dieter Della Grida. Uh, has sent his nephew Angel to find the Scarab and bring it back to him, but Jesus will not give uh, immortality up easily, even risking the life of his orphan granddaughter. Um, you know what, even too, with the orphan da- granddaughter, and I know this might be a weird connection, but I got Halloween for vibes from that. For sure. She even looks like Daniel Harris a bit. Doesn't she? I was like, yeah, I, I was like, so. I, was, I thought you could have had like a mass killer come out or something. It would have just been like, okay, I'm fine with this. Uh, you know, and it, it's really funny too, uh, especially you know with the with the young with with the 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 child character, and then uh, I mean correlating back to to Pan's Labyrinth as well. Is uh, you think okay, well, there's kid actors in this because they convey a sort of innocence and stuff like that, but that's never why Guillermo puts these kids in these movies as, as a point of innocence because it's deceiving because they seem to have a lot of knowledge that the audience doesn't even know that they have until it's revealed at some point in the in the movie and and he kind of go he, he's kind of subversive against that uh innocence of childhood type thing well and i feel like the the granddaughter like most of this movie might have not have happened without her because she helps mm-hmm. him so much throughout the movie um and and all the little times that she's like checking up on him or like listening on the phone or things like that like i thought the the role of her character was so good even though she didn't play a, a huge part in the, or as much of a part in the movie as i thought she was going to at least it, um guillermo's really good when it comes to like child actors i find in his films because there's another film he's done the devil's backbone which has a predominantly child cast and they're just phenomenal they're so natural they're not that. That's... They're not that Hollywood like screaming and sort of just like God, you're annoying. Like get off the screen. <laughs> yeah. There, there is this. They're so natural and they do. They just fit into the story perfectly. Yeah, I think uh, it, it, you know, the kids are never really a detriment in his movies. Whereas, like with other yeah. movies, it could be like, oh, the kids just like in the way and just making things more difficult for the protagonist. And it's like the kids are not really a detriment. In fact, yeah, they're they're a lot of times helpful. So, especially in Kronos, where the granddaughter ends up being like quite helpful in a lot of ways. So, yeah, they're smart. Yeah, like, like real pe- like real people. They're like real kids. They're not just like I want a juice box. Can you give me a juice <laughs> box now? <laughs> um, cool. When was the first time uh, we'll watch this movie? Oh, I I watched it for the podcast. I had not seen this from uh, Guillermo del Toro before. Okay. Yeah, I I didn't see it until it hit Criterion, uh, which is well after I was kind of exposed to everything uh, that Guillermo had kind of made to that point. Because I that would have been after Crim- uh, after Crimson Peak as well, because the Criterion didn't come out until maybe three or four years ago. 
So yeah, it was it was just long and my blind spot because uh, the the I mean the first one I had ever seen was Mimic, and we all know how that went. <laughs> uh, gosh, actually, funny enough, I watched I saw this on TV when I was like a teenager, but the stupid thing was is they didn't have any subtitles and it was all uh, in Spanish. I guess for like the few little parts where it's in English, so I had like mm-hmm. no idea what was going on. <laughs> uh, I watched the movie and I was like, I I don't know what's going on in this movie. Uh, and it was only until, uh, yeah, similar to Steve, that it hit Criterion that I was like, I'm going to watch this again, this time with subtitles. And I fininally understood what was going on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, yeah, because, uh, you know, not a Spanish speaker, I don't understand. I mean, there was some cool imagery, and I remember that sticking with me, but I was like, I don't know what was going on in this movie. So, yeah. Uh, so And then, yeah, this I rewatched it for the... Well, this was my second rewatch, my third time overall for the podcast, and yeah. Yeah. Subtitles make a big difference in <laughs> both, <laughs> both these movies. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I mean... It's funny, the first time I watched it, even though I didn't know what was going on, I think I picked up enough in terms of, like, the Scarab and what it meant and what it did and stuff like that. But, yeah, you just miss some of the finer points of the plot when mm-hmm. you don't quite understand what's going on. So, um, The first time I watched it, um, I, I think Hellboy was the first Guillermo film I ever saw, and I was obsessed. <laughs> I loved everything about it, and um, my... I think my mom went to the cinemas to see Pan's Labyrinth and my mom absolutely loved the film and she's like, you're a bit young, maybe not just yet, um, mm-hmm. but she found a copy of Kronos and she bought it for me for my birthday. Aww. Yeah, because <laughs> she was like, I know how much you love the director and then shortly after I watched Kronos. So yeah, I think I actually saw Kronos before I saw Pan's Labyrinth. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, but yeah, this was like DVD. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because I guess for a lot of us heading into Pan's Labyrinth, we were like, oh, this is the Hellboy guy. This is Blade 2 guy. Like, Yeah. And it's such a massive... I, I mean, besides um, like atmospherical elements, it's such a... Just a different... A completely different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it just basically opens the horizons for like what this dude can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Uh, uh, we got a couple emails here. Jacob says, "Sometimes I wonder if this is my favorite Del Toro movie." I like. I find it funny that you have to wonder. You just don't like just definitively know it's your favorite. But I guess I get it. It's it's a good I, movie for sure. I don't know. If I it's, think it's like a it's like a blueprint for his the rest of his career almost though because yeah. there are so many little yeah. pieces in it that aren't fully like it's like an unpopped kernel of popcorn it's just not fully to what is it supposed to be yet yeah. because I, I mean watching it again there there are like mistakes in it i feel mm. uh like it, it is definitely not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination but um it's all it's all influence and it's all what kind of be is like the framework of, of the rest of his career yeah definitely we get that taste mm-hmm. yeah and i think as you i think uh del toro is like a director that as time went on and like makeup effects 
grew better and special effects grew better. Like, they kind of... He was one of the few directors that really benefited from that because I think he's always had that vision, just maybe not quite the full technology or makeup effects to properly convey that. So... I, I think, like, yeah, like Steve said, you can see the blueprint for what he likes to do in his movies. I just think maybe the technology wasn't fully there or realized. Uh, it doesn't help that, yeah, the budget got cut. Um, but I think when you look at, like, a movie like Pan's Labyrinth or Shape of Water, where, like, the technology is caught up to what his vision is, you can kind mm-hmm. of start to realize, like, more of, okay, this is what he's been trying to do this whole time. It's just we weren't quite at the stage where he could fully realize his visions. So mm-hmm. I, can I mean, see and even, even for what it is, it's still like really good. Like going yeah. into this, I didn't even realize this was going to turn out to be a vampire movie. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, it just kind of started out as like, Oh, there's this weird device and there's a bug in it or whatever. Um, so just like, yeah, the, the way that he still does like the story and all the characters in this, the, the bones of what he, he is as a director are still really good in this one. Uh, even if it isn't fully realized, I guess, compared to some of his other works. He's, like, totally comprised of, like, almost flights and fancy, but then, like, very sobering, like, emotional and physical violence. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, it's it's such a crazy dichotomy. Um, and I, I think I, I think is what makes his, his, his films feel so rich, and I think why they resonate... Uh, long after you finish watching it, they you just still kind of think about it, mm-hmm. and it, it it just yeah it has to be just the blending of those two those two ideas really. It was like the start of like friendships for Del Toro and like Ron Perlman, yeah, and uh, Federico Lupi, mm-hmm. um, because yeah they went on to be in more of his films as well because yeah. like they're just oh, they're so good. <laughs> and and Ron Perlman took a pay cut. Yeah, because he he uh, got word when they're in production that he was having his budget scaled back, and they were already good friends by that point. And I mean, the the character of Angel is one that kind of evolved anyway, because when they were first going through the script and everything, Angel was completely fluent in 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 uh, Spanish, like he was a, just like a grounded uh, uh, Mexican uh, resident. Um, and he even wrote it like that, but Del Toro like hated the way that it was coming off. So they instead made Angel like this expat that almost hated being in the country and was looking for his escape, who spoke really bad Spanish, kind of filtered into his English. And yeah, it makes the character that much more interesting because Angel is such a there's there's so many different tiers to his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, he really could have been just like generic henchman number one almost. Mm-hmm. And instead, he, yeah. he kind of got a little more fleshed out. Yeah. I think that's a tribute to how good Ron Perlman is and how good he's always been. Yeah. Um, uh, beyond being, like, a good under-makeup actor, he is so expressive out of it mm. that it, it's insanely... It's He's one of the best, for sure. Yeah. It's so weird seeing him so young in this, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then if you go from this and you start watching, like, City of Lost Children, which yeah. I believe is a year later, for mm-hmm. another, I mean, it's French. It, all of a sudden, yes. he's working for Jean-Pierre Junet, and you're like, holy shit, like, the versatility, the international versatility of Ron Perlman as an actor, I think there's, uh, maybe Kristen Scott Thomas is another one like that. There's, there's very, very few actors and actresses that can pull off what Ron Perlman does. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree with that. 
Uh, Scott says, Kronos is a better film. Once you hear Del Toro talk about it in interviews, he really explains a lot, and it only enhances the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Sure. I would agree with that. I, I, I think the, um, the Criterion collection, like, that's, like, the definitive, obviously, the definitive uh, way to watch it. But if you watch the movie, and you've never seen the movie before, and you watch the movie, and then you go through each of the special features, and then you watch it again... It for sure, uh, I mean, production-wise, um, vision-wise, uh, what he wanted to do, what he couldn't do, um, it all comes through in the final product. Ooh, yeah. I might have to add this one to my rewatch list then, because I love doing. I love going back and like seeing interviews and getting more details, and then mm -hmm. rewatching something. It just, yeah, makes it so much better. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, time for some awards. Best line. Uh, I didn't really get down too many lines. I think the one that I wrote down that just made me laugh was, uh, uh, I think it was a, a Ron Perlman line. Uh, that fucker does nothing but shit and piss all mm -hmm. day, and he wants to live longer. That was yeah. the one that I wrote <laughs> I down. Like that one. That's a good one. Um, I, it was more like the speech um, when he was explaining what the Kronos device was and how he was saying that God created the insect out of his image or whatever like i love that little speech about the device itself hmm. um there's like a little throwaway line with the funeral director who says you're going to have her heaven covered in makeup your wife oh. will think you've been with a whore yeah that was a good one too <laughs> and it's such a throwaway line yeah. even those the the, the funeral that that scene with the with the funeral director and the mortician and stuff is such a it's it, it's because it's so, so two very just background and, and and divisive characters, but it is so memorable just because of how oddball they are. Yeah. So. Yeah, it just kind of like was one of those things where I was watching. And I heard that line. And I was like, it's such a weird line because it's, it's it's so funny and it just comes from like this like yeah random funeral director, but still pretty good. And it helps kind of flesh out the world more that it's not just your protagonist that's witty, it's the other characters around them as well. So, uh, best performance. Ooh. I mean, I, I'd have to say probably Federico Lupi. He was really yeah. Good. It is a really good performance. Um, yeah, but Ron, Perl uh, like Ron Perlman, is just up there just because he's such a—he's like almost an anti-hero of a of an antagonist. Yeah, because yeah. he doesn't really have a home. Like he hates, you know, he he hates, you know, being employed where he is. He hates the country. He's just kind of looking for his own escape. Uh, and he almost romanticizes what he does too, because when he's beating the crap out of Jesus on the the cliff, it, it's it's there's almost like a sensuality to it. Like when he gets exhausted, and he's laying on him and stuff. There's like there's just like odd qualities that Angel brings to it that you feel like there's so much subtext to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and just some of the some of the scenes that he has where it's very obvious that he hates what he's doing or he mm -hmm. hates being under the employ of this businessman like when he does the one-off when he's talking to him on the phone he does the one-off like like bout of swearing uh mm -hmm. and then he goes back to talk to him 
I, yeah, I, I almost feel like I have to go with Ron Perlman just because those scenes are so good. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, there's one scene that I feel is like really an honest scene with him, and it's one of it's the uh, it's when he goes to get the artifact from uh, buy the artifact from Jesus, and he's having uh, he's doing those little that that gum thing with uh, with the little girl. Yeah. Um, it's. I think it's the most exposed his character is in the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely can't argue against uh, choosing Ron Perlman because, I mean, he does such a great job in this, too. There's a lot of really good performances in this. So mm -hmm. It's really tough to choose. What about you, Taylor? Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to go with Ron Perlman. I think he edges it just a little bit over Frederico. Uh in terms of the performance. Because, uh, I mean, they were both good, but, yeah, Ron, Ron Perlman just adds just a little bit something extra to his character that's a little charming. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, when we get to Devil's Backbone, that's Loopy's movie. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Awesome. Uh, okay. Um... Best kill. There wasn't like a whole lot of kills in this, were there? No, I mean no. I had I had the the car being pushed off the cliff on my list until yeah. he came back to life, so Yeah, and I, I mean it just it looks so great. It reminds me of those old seventies um Italian films. Uh the the Giallo films, which obviously are a huge influence in Del Toro. Um and the aftermath, the fire, him upside down, it, it's it's so, it's such a gorgeous shot. Um, yeah, there's no ultimate death from that. But uh, because, I, I mean, the, any of the other the deaths in it are just, um, again, divisive. They're, they're, there's nothing, there's nothing stylish about it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe... Uh... The grandpa's death at the end was pretty good, though. Finally, coming to terms with everything and killing the, the creature. Although I guess he did he not then die at the end either. Is he still alive? I think they kind of leave it ambiguous because like mm -hmm. he's basically mm -hmm. waiting for the sun to rise to see if he dies or not. But I don't think you ever get an answer. At least I don't okay. think so. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there was like some like thing where Del Toro explains it. But I don't know, at least from what I saw, I don't think it got explained, so. Okay. I almost want to believe that he survives then, just to, to be a little bit happier. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then other than that, like, what are the other deaths? The, the businessman had a pretty good, brutal death, and then he got chomped on afterwards. That was pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then I think the granddaughter kills a couple of those bugs in the beginning of the movie. She nails them pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I You're mean, just making them mad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, Ron Perlman, as is it, falls through the ceiling. Oh, is yeah. It? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I chose him by default because I couldn't really think of who else. But, yeah. I mean. Wish there was a little bit more to that, though, than just the, the falling through, although it was quite dramatic. Yeah. Like, put the scarab on his chest, then kick him. I don't know. Goodness. <laughs> Put, huh. on it, put it on his face or something. I don't know. There was some cool. There was some cool <laughs> shit they could have done. But I mean, one scene that sticks with me is 
um, Jesus licking the blood off the bathroom floor. Oh, yeah. Because oh, God. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, in Blood for Dracula with Udo Kier. Oh, yes. He licks blood off the bathroom floor. So mm-hmm. as soon as I rewatched it, I was like, I forgot about this. <laughs> I wonder if vampires can get diseases from doing, like, regular diseases from doing things like that, like licking blood off the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, maybe not, not but... because I, I think that va- the way blood works in vampires is the way like fuels work in, fuel works in car cars. It just kind of burns it. Uh, so, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe it's uh, maybe it doesn't matter what kind of diseases or parasites are in the blood. It's just going to get burnt up anyways. Or maybe they just have like superhuman um, like uh, antibodies or something like they can just withstand anything. All right, somebody's got to make hepatitis C vampires now. <laughs> <laughs> Just make like a movie with like vampires with diabetes. Or yeah, anemic <laughs> vampires. <the movie. laughs> um. All right. Uh, dumbest decision. Oh, Nine. I put the first time that he he did put the thing back on him i was like i understand you're having some issues here but that's not, how could you think that that is a good idea yeah that's like putting your hand on the stove and then being like ow and then later being like you know what i think we should try this again <laughs> <laughs> and why in a stairwell why why are you doing it in a stairwell like yeah. <laughs> is that the can you like can you sit down, pal? Like you're you're making me nervous. Get yourself comfortable first. Yeah. 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 Why you in the walkway, dude? Yeah. They're definitely putting this the beetle back on. Like <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. That'll do it. Um. Yeah. I mean, also too, like pushing you yourself and. Ron Perlman through that ceiling. Did you really need to go with him? Could you just not just like push <laughs> him off? Like, yeah, drop take him. Yeah, like that seemed a little overly dramatic. I would have or- loved if there was a climatic drop kick. Climatic <laughs> drop kick. Uh, wow. Just get the granddaughter to do it. She she seems pretty <laughs> pro action. You know, she hit yeah. she hit people over the head already. Yeah, throw her a missile. He picks up the daughter, just swings her at him. (laughs) (laughs) That's the vampire's final move, swinging his granddaughter around. Yeah. Um, Cool. Well, I think it's time to rate Kronos. Uh, You know, how many drop kicks are you all giving it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to give it a nine. Uh, like I, I really don't waver between nine and tens with Guillermo's films, all of them, even with how much people were disturbed by Shape of Water. I'm still like, that's still a fucking masterpiece. Hey, best date uh, movie you could go to. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I did take my wife to that to the the advanced screening. And you're still I together, see. so yeah, we're you still know. together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I take. Dude, when we were dating, I, I took her. We we saw Tree of Life, so I think we can make it through everything. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's like I said, this is laying out of uh, kind of a a subtle map of where Guillermo was going to go, uh, at least in the first ten years of his career. Uh, I would say to up to Pan's Labyrinth, 
Uh, and then kind of all bets are off after that. But because, uh, I mean, who's ever going to see Pacific Rim coming, really? Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's just uh, there's just such a perfection of uh, cinema and not just in any one country, just cinema in, in general, that, that Guillermo has a command of for himself. He's kind of carved out his own corner of it uh, where he kind of resides as the king and uh, Kronos is the start. I'd give it an 8. I think it's good. I think what holds it back is just more so that, yeah, the limitations of the time, like technology and makeup-wise, I think kind of hold this movie back a little bit for me. Uh, I, you know, not to say that, that this movie should ever get remade, but if it did get remade, it would be interesting to see if, like, Del Toro could, like, tackle this movie again and do it with, like the special effects and makeup effects that he has now, I think it would probably make it a stronger film. I still like this movie, but I think it just got a little held back by some of the dated effects and whatnot. It just didn't quite feel uh, full on as Del Del Toro as like uh, some of his later movies. Yeah. I, I kind of want to agree with an eight. Um, I know this is like an earlier film, so maybe it's a little unfair considering how great this movie still is. Mm. Um, but I just feel like there was like maybe uh, an extra plot beat or something they could have put in, just just an, a little extra something uh, that seemed to be kind of missing for for me. Even though, like, yeah, it was still an amazing movie. I honestly, going into this, I hadn't watched it before and or, or heard really that much about the plot, so figuring out that uh it was kind of like a vampire movie was really cool um but yeah just just something something not quite pushing up to a nine although i do uh reserve the right to change my mind if i go walk back and watch interviews and do a rewatch because that could change it for me mm-hmm. i'm reading some letterbox oh. reviews and there's one really funny one where this guy says a little too not in english for me <laughs> okay. what wow that's limiting <laughs> yeah no kidding right Holy fuck! I, I, I've, you know, and ever since working for a video story in the two thousands and stuff, it was like it's just like a constant argument. Oh, I can't. I don't read my movies. Oh, I don't like. Then you're fucking limiting yourself for some of the greatest stories ever told. Mm-hmm. If you've never experienced a South Korean film because you can't get past subtitles, like then the, all this whole Bong Joon Ho like thing is totally lost on you. Yeah, uh, you know, like. So many of these international cinemas are finally getting their due that they had that they should have for decades now, mm-hmm. and it's all because you don't want to read during a movie. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. What would you give it a score of, Beck? Um, I would give it nine out of ten drop kicks. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> I forgot I, about the drop kicks. <laughs> I feel that this film is great for anyone who hasn't really been introduced to Del Toro because it's for me it's the story. I love the way he tells these stories. Um and it's a great glimpse into that and yeah, like it's that little taste. And so then when you see something like Pan's Labyrinth, you're just like, Whoa, this is it. This is great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love it. The performances are great. I mean I, yeah, like, I kind of can see what you mean with the effects, but at the same time, it just doesn't take too much away from me. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is... Still a good uh, amount of blood, too, which sometimes is lacking in, in some movies, especially some vampire movies. You don't see blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Need a good amount of blood. 
Uh, I also see, too, um, the year before this movie came out, there was a movie called My Grandpa is a Vampire, and now I'm kind of wishing <laughs> this movie was instead called My Grandpa is a Vampire. <laughs> it's like the subtitle for it or something. That's if awesome. Only... Kronos, My Grandfather is a Vampire. If only Al Lewis didn't ruin it by making a terrible movie called My Grandpa is a Vampire. Really just ruined it for Del Toro. <laughs> <laughs> I, did you hear that, that like he got some money back when this movie sold as uh when it sold to American audiences because the Americans wanted to remake it and oh. then Del Toro's completely he said who wants to watch Jack Lemon lick blood off of a floor <laughs> Oh too Perfect. funny I mean I don't particularly want to see anyone lick blood off the floor <laughs> But yes Jack Lemon's an interesting choice though yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen Udo Kier do it too, so... <laughs> Udo Kier probably does that as, like, a, a, a Saturday night, though. <laughs> I mean, Udo Kier is just... Udo Kier is just... He is he is atmosphere in human form. Yeah. <laughs> See, if I was to cast anyone in an American remake of this movie, it'd probably be, like, Jerry Orbach or something like that. Like, <laughs> just... Now, to see Jerry Orbach licking blood off a bathroom floor, that I would pay good money to see. So. Just, just a few, just, just a handful of years after putting baby in a corner. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what a potentially career reviving move that would have been. I don't know. <laughs> he wouldn't, he wouldn't have got Law and Order then, or, uh, he, or no, he would have been mid Law and Order by that point. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, Steve, where can people find you on this fast internet? Yep. I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Steve Will Dead. Uh, my website stevestebbing.ca, and then I am on uh, the Shift with Shane Hewitt every Thursdays at 11 p.m. Pacific across Canada. Uh, any chorus radio station will carry us on that one, and yeah, that's it. Nice. And uh, back where can people find you on the internet? Um. I did have Twitter. I haven't been on Twitter in ages. <laughs> um, but I do makeup. And uh, my makeup handle is uh, Makeup by Beck J. Beck with two C's. Um, yeah, I do a bit of beauty, do a bit of special effects. Um, yeah, that's where I am at. Nice. And Taylor, where can people find you on the internet? Mostly on Twitter and Instagram, where I also do like a whole lot of nothing pretty much uh <laughs> my username is circeanic and if i ever do anything else on the internet i post about it on my blog which is circeanic.home.blog nice uh, i'm over at threegreeners.com we got stuff going up quite frequently i'm also on letterbox fatal koala if you want to follow my film reviews including my world famous review of the ice road which is the dumbest movie of this year, but also one of the best movies of this year. So there you go. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm over on Twitter, Film Critic Kurt. Until next time, bye for now.